a complex world brimming with new ambitions, the best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers podcast. OGGN is the largest network of oil and gas podcasts in the world. And uh, on Digital Doers here, we're proud to be part of that, and we're very thankful to our sponsor, HPE, who makes it possible for us to have interesting conversations with people that are doing things digitally. And so I'm excited today to have a conversation with Patricia Vega. And uh, before we get started, just want to say a little bit about uh, what HPE is doing and uh, encourage you to go take a look on their website at hpe.com and take a look at what they're doing with their Green Lake platform. And their, the tagline for the Green Lake platform is it's their edge to cloud platform, and it's all about bringing the cloud experience to you at your edges, co-locations, data centers, wherever. All about making that experience so you can access your data and applications easily. And so now that we've gotten kind of those things out of the way, um, I'm really excited to be talking today with someone I admire greatly, um, who's got a lot of courage and panache and backbone and all kinds of things. And, um, and this is Patricia Vega, and she is the founder and CEO of Quantum New Energy. And so welcome, Patricia. Thank you, Joanna. I'm so happy to be here with you. And likewise, uh, the sentiment is mutual. Uh, so I'm really glad to be doing this with you, somebody I also tremendously admire. And thank you for all your support in our journey. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been my pleasure for sure. And Patricia, this is a lot about oil and gas, but we also talk about energy in general here on this podcast. And so you've played in all kinds of spaces in the energy uh, area. So tell us a little bit about what you've done. Thank you, Joanne. So I, I love the way how you frame it because I think what we do in the industry be oil and gas or any other uh, areas of the energy spectrum is about powering the world to do the things and to move the economy and to generate progress and well-being for people. Uh, so I think when we when we think about what is common, then we find that whether it is oil and gas or other forms of energy, we have a common objective. Uh, so how my career started was in one of those areas, right? So the focus area was oil and gas as a petroleum engineer. Uh, I studied and graduated in, in Colombia and um, was very lucky uh, through my um, college years to have internships. So by the time I graduated and also my thesis in, in the university, uh, they all well done, were done with operating oil and gas operating companies. So by the time I uh, graduated, I have spent six months with Oxy uh, in the field doing production engineering. And, and these were 
I think relatively early days of um, doing or optimizing artificial leaf designs using computers and, and doing forms of optimizations. Uh, then I have done also my thesis as well, and it was building a simulator of a PVT uh, test that was done in the lab, but now using equations of state, so building a simulator using software. Um, and I mentioned in those experiences, because as we go in these conversations, we'll see how a lot of the things that now we do with, with technology, there have been attempts for, for a long time. It's just how the technology continues to evolve and enables faster and better optimizations. Um, so that is how my career started. I graduated. Um, I only had one year to work in my country, and that was with BP as a drilling engineer. Uh, but one of the things about Colombia is that they were more petroleum engineers than jobs. So that eventually pushed me to, of course, explore opportunities or be open to opportunities uh, outside. I frankly, that was, of course, that was a, a desire, but that wasn't necessarily something that I was actively pursuing, but it, it really happened. Uh, so I joined Schlumberger and, and I started my international career. And through that career, especially with Schlumberger being a very data-centric company and, and the specific segment that I joined, which was Warland, we did uh, a lot of things. Um, I didn't say much about my time with BP, but actually BP was also another one deep dive now as I was doing drilling in very advanced drilling and directional drilling technologies at the time. Uh, so all of these were very pioneering technologies back in the days. I'm talking about the mid-90s. Um, and it was really fascinating to see uh, how many complex uh, wells at the time with a lot of tectonics where we're drilling in, in Colombia uh, for BP could be made possible because of these measurements and because of these technologies um, that I think were precursors to many of the things that, that we see today in, in, in the operations. Um, so six years with, uh, with uh, Schlumberger, uh, so a lot to do with finding resources, uh, helping customers uh, do seismic operations and, and um, open hole logging for finding where the oil and the gas was, uh, and then you know, doing production logging to help optimize the production of those wells. So all of that is a continuum, right? As we think about uh, the energy uh, upstream uh, segments, optimizing completions, etc. Um, so then, fast forward, I leave my field operations days and then start moving more into uh, technology development and, and eventually uh, business development and life management roles. But the common thread around all of those experiences as my careers continues. Uh, to evolve. And at this point now, I'm working with Becker Hughes for 10 years, and I joined as a project manager, and I, eventually I become a vice president of operations, is how as uh, this technology now becomes available, it enables customers to optimize their operations, to become more efficient, to thrive to different industry cycles. But I also want to emphasize how it also enables the industry to every time become safer and better from a sustainability perspective. Uh, so that has been, uh, of course, very inspiring to see. Can the industry do more? Of course. And I think the industry is always open 
to continue to, to improve. But I think we have seen a tremendous uh, positive journey. Uh, and then more recently, uh, after my 10 years with, uh, with Becky Hughes, I joined Halliburton for a little while, and that was very focused on the digital asset strategy. So this was really a great job because this was not one of the business lines, but this was actually an enterprise level view of all of the businesses and how digital technologies could help the companies or the company in this case, Halliburton do more for the customers uh, from the life of the asset perspective. So that was that was a great, great uh, experience. And, and again, digital technologies now continue to mature. So the, then we go from these ad hoc applications that we have for drilling and for this to start talking more about an enterprise architecture and how to optimize um, from the simple problems, right? Or how to tag a well in different systems and make sure that it is recognized at the same well. Because, right. you know, the nomenclature might be different from system to system. So those are kind of early challenges of the enterprise type uh, architectures. Yep. And so you've been kind of on a digital transformation your entire life, it sounds like. It was all about the technology and, and how to get value from that. Um, and so that was a lot about oil and gas. Like you said, that was where you started in, in one part of the energy industry. And I think at some point you made a bit of a shift to uh, a different part of the energy industry. So tell us a little about what caused you to be drawn maybe to this other side and tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Yes. And well, so there is a bridge between what I was doing in oil and gas and what I'm doing now. And that bridge was my time at GE. So one of the, and, and every one of my experiences with all these amazing companies have been very foundational and, uh, and have contributed to this journey. Um, and so you were at GE after Halliburton. I was at GE after Halliburton. Okay. okay. Yes. So I joined GE, and now this is not just a company that is focused in oil and gas, but it's really this big industrial conglomerate that cuts across many different industry segments. Uh, so, of course, oil and gas was one of the businesses and was the one that I joined, but I have the opportunity to work um, with the other businesses for multiple reasons, uh, with multiple uh, objectives. So one of them was during my time as president in Latin America for the region. So, of course, I, I led the full oil and gas portfolio, and that was more than just uh, upstream. So that had uh, the midstream and some of the downstream technologies as well. So now we'll, we'll call that at the time the full stream um, approach because, yes, the company had capabilities all, all across those technologies. Uh, so at the regional level, I have also the opportunity to not only uh, lead that organization of uh, several thousands of uh, people in the region, uh, but also be a member of the regional board of directors. So I will see it with businesses like aviation and power and renewables and healthcare and others. And we all be part of those discussions about what was going on in the, re in the region and strategies uh, and collaboration. So that was really the first eye opener 
to say, oh, what we do in oil and gas connects with what is done here in power, what is done with renewables, and also as we engage with those customers now at a G level, even if I was representing my oil and gas businesses, customers will have in their portfolio something to do with renewables, something to do with power, with utilities, with some other access. So you couldn't necessarily segment the conversation, say, oh, talk to me only about this thing because... Uh, that was uh, really one of the benefits, I believe, of um, that um, um, that portfolio of, of the company that was able to address, and for me, a possibility to gain an appreciation about the fact that companies that I had considered before oil and gas companies were now looking more holistically about their own portfolios within the energy space. And, and how to position themselves. So that was really great. The second piece, uh, which now brings me to what I'm doing, and is my last uh, step within GE, I was leading a, a portfolio, now a global portfolio of evaluation and optimization technologies. And of course, that has tremendous uh, um, relationship with big data and analytics. And, and I was very involved with the GE Digital Group looking at the whole G uh, strategy and how we both contribute some of the uh, learnings and work that we did, but then likewise, how could we benefit of the enterprise cross-industry uh, approach? Uh, so that was really great. And, and within that context, two things came very clear to me. So one, of course, was the energy transition was bigger than what I was thinking initially from my only oil and gas lens. Uh, and it was happening and it was just picking up pace and speed. And then the second one is, was that the uh, digital transformation was going to be a key enabler for that to really produce the results. Um, so it was really uh, a moment for me to come to the realization of, okay, we are doing all this work to optimize assets and operations to bring energy to the world. That is fantastic. But as we think about energy transition, we could even go a little bit beyond. And that beyond should involve looking also at the way how energy is used. And, uh, and that is what eventually brought me to found Quantum New Energy and, and try to develop the capabilities to complement or to balance all that distraxity that is so strong, or dexterity rather, that it is so strong in uh, the uh, process of finding resources and, and exploiting and producing and generating power, but then not as much in, in the way how energy is used. And we can, you and I can uh, think about it simply from the energy consumer perspective, right? So whether it is at the right. residence or at the industrial campus or the city level, there's still not as much capability understanding. And that represents, in my view, a tremendous opportunity for optimization and to better balance the energy transition equation, not only from, uh, from a technology perspective, of course, but from the cost perspective that then also brings inclusion and in bringing everyone on board, we also make the journey towards uh, net zero one that is going to be more feasible. Because as you and I have discussed, Joanne, energy transition is not something 
or journey to net zero is not just something that somebody will do for us. Yes. We all will have to contribute. Uh, yes. So it's, it's creating those tools uh, knowledge and processes that are going to enable everyone that is interested, whether in their personal lives, from their homes, or in their companies, to play a role and to find ways to, to not only to contribute, but also to benefit. Right. Right. And we, you and I have talked about this a lot, and, and I, <laughs> I've used this uh, example with you before, but I, I do think sometimes when I hear, hmm, let me be careful, but sometimes when I hear politicians and other folks uh, talk about the energy transition, um, it does, they don't make it so that it feels like something that I can be involved in. Oftentimes it seems like it's just something that's going to happen. I don't have to do anything. And they compare it even to the moonshot or the moon when they put the man on the moon in the late sixties. And that's what they compare this to is that we just need a bunch of technology. Mm -hmm. But as you and I have discussed, that's just not the case mm -hmm. uh, because I sat and enjoyed and was excited by watching uh, Neil Armstrong, you know, on the moon. Um, and I did nothing. <laughs> My family did nothing differently. We just were able to enjoy that. And that's not going to be the case with the energy transition. Um, and so I think, you know, I've always really appreciated the fact that you are passionate about and are trying to create some capabilities, some enablers that actually um, show us average people how we can do better in this space. Yes, uh, absolutely. I think that that's the key, uh, Joanne. What we have learned through the journey. So in the beginning is understanding where are we, right? It's like when you go to a match and you came a little bit late and you want to know who's winning, right? Yes. Or how is the score? Immediately. Well, so that is the attitude that we need to have in this process, right? At least to have the tools to know what's happening, right? What's happening? Um, what, is my, um, what is my current situation? And what it means is what is my cost? What is my energy intensity? What is my carbon footprint? And what are the opportunities to improve? Because, of course, if we're not careful, this might sound like homework, right? That, oh, wait a minute, I already have a lot in my <laughs> life going on, and now I have to do something else to help the planet get to net zero. So, yeah, there is, and more than homework, uh, there's going to be some shifts in, in attitudes, right? And, and things that perhaps we don't think about or we don't talk about enough today because we don't have the tools and going back to digital technology and data being enablers of these tools so that this is not just concentrated in companies or this is not just concentrated in in regulators or entities but this becomes part of our daily lives just as we know you know what's was uh, streaming what are the games entertaining banking how digital technologies have transformed basically everything we do in our lives, now digital technologies have the opportunity. And that's what we do at Quantum New Energy with uh, our product for homes and for individuals. Anyway, that is the way how we started is let's explore what are the data sets that are almost universal. Uh, and what and are the Exactly, that is already there. Uh, that without involving an extra cost or an investment, 
then people can use their own data and be able to answer those questions, right? And, and by just building that awareness, we hope to uh, spark conversation and curiosity and eventually action. And then as we create that change and that move, uh, that is an area where I absolutely follow you and admire your work, Joan, because it's, it's a, to me, is an exercise of activating change, leadership, and collective um, movement. And, and that's how we're going to shift this paradigm from apathy into action, right? So right. something that we right. don't even think about to now something that becomes um, a topic of conversation, then something to uh, do. And more importantly is what are the benefits? Because if there are benefits and those benefits are both the obvious, which will be saving money and reducing your carbon footprint and reducing your energy intensity. And by the way, the International Energy Agency counts on the collective improvement of energy efficiency on a 4% on an annual basis in the path to net zero by 2050. So, wow. so this is not just something that is aspirational, it's something that we're tangibly counting on to get us to net zero. And right. how could that happen if we don't give people the tools? The tools and the data. If you don't, if you don't even have a clue where to start or a clue what you can do, then it's very difficult to activate change, to get people to to move. Um, so that's interesting. So what you're saying is in the International Energy Agency, which is the global recognized authority, mm -hmm. um, if you will, um, by most all countries. So you're saying in the modeling that they're doing to try to understand what's going to be needed to minimize the rise in our annual global temperature, you're saying that it's not only the electrification of a bunch of cars and the move from fossil fuel energy or uh, fossil fuel energy generated electricity, that it also is in the individual efficiency that our individual habits, what we're doing individually by 4% a year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, Joanne. So I, I like a couple of things uh, that you just, a couple of points that you just made. So one of them is, it is an equation. So we really, problem solvers here have one of the challenges that you like, right? How do we, how do we solve this puzzle? Because the equation needs to solve for zero. We need to get to zero. But then at the same time, what are the levers uh, that we have to get us to net zero? And yes, energy efficiency is one of them. Now, stepping back a little bit, really, the, there are three main levers. So one is you have a certain carbon baseline today, whether as an individual or as a company, and and then you're going to and whether you know it or not, is whether you've you know got it or that footprint. Yeah, you have yeah. a carbon footprint, right? Okay. And uh, and then from there, how you get to net zero is a combination of things, right? So number one, because we we can know stop our activities. We need energy for everything we do in our companies, in our processes, in our daily lives. Uh, so we're going to have that. So then we have a ways, ways to reduce 
and energy efficiency will be one of those because we're going to reduce our energy intensity or improve our energy efficiency. One is the, the opposite of the other. Uh, then the second one is we're going to perhaps these days use a lot by offsets, right? So those offsets are by renewable credits, uh, by carbon offsets, et cetera. Each one of them have an associated cost. And then the last mile, and I'll call those two the technologies of today, right? Those are things that are available today. For efficiency uh, and off so the technologies the reduction, to... So everything that has to do with the reduction. And of course, efficiency is nothing new to the oil and gas. We have tried to optimize efficiencies for the longest time. Now it's more also with an added lens of carbon reduction. So we're going to be optimizing things not only for cost, but also for uh, carbon. Carbon. Yes. Exactly. Uh, and then, of course, energy efficiency is one of those ways. So the first lever is we're talking about reducing. So everything to do with reducing that uh, baseline. The second one is, of course, go and buy offsets. Uh, and then the third one is removals. Now, the, the actual uh, order should be, okay, I'm going to reduce and then I'm going to remove why is it that we're not removing enough today? Because those are technologies of the future. So many of those technologies like carbon capture and sequestration, hydrogen, direct air capture, and many others are technologies that are now, as we speak, um, developed and proven and brought to the scale and the economic point, cost point, that can be used uh, at scale. So today, for example, uh, absorbing one ton of carbon using direct air capture is around $250. So okay. once you start adding the cost element to each one of those, how much does it cost you to reduce one ton of carbon through reduction measures? How much does it cost you through buying an offset or through removals? Soon you realize that solving this equation has to include a good balance between all of the three for a number of reasons. One of them is the cost, but the other point as well is the certainty. And, and of course, while nobody has a crystal ball, um, nobody knows for sure when those technologies of the future are going to be here today. And we need to make progress. We cannot wait for uh, 2049 to say, okay, now I'm going to remove all of this everything. Carbon. Yeah, everything we've been dumping in there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so we can think about that in our daily lives as individuals or as families, uh, because we care about climate issues and we're concerned and we want to be part of the solution. And definitely, as leaders in organizations, which brings me to a second point that you made, which is leadership. We go back to leadership and change. So all of those other things, technology, optimization problems, at the end of the day is leaders in companies, both at board level and management level, being very clear about the ambition and the need and the urgency and driving the change within their organizations to say, let's have a look at this, right? Rather than thinking that possibly this will be another buzzword and possibly by year end or it's, it's going to disappear. Um, so start by at least uh, having a look at, of course, as we know, there are some, some uh, events that are triggering that that gets examined um, and internalized 
within those conversations and within the business strategy. Right. And so let me ask you this. Um, like you said, there's, there's, um, we certainly feel, we certainly hear about kind of this rush to the net, to net zero. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of conversations that go on about that in addition to a lot of uh, other uh, money being spent as well. And so I wonder, as we're thinking about this energy transition, and you have had an opportunity in your career to be a, play a big role in another kind of transition, more likely, more often referred to as a transformation, mm -hmm. which was the digital transformation. And hey, I was around when... You know, I can remember from the the senior leaders in the company that I worked for when I started to work in the oil field, and it was like, yes, we're going to have a desktop computer for every office, field, location, office. We're never going to have computers on everyone's desk. I mean, people said that. Mm -hmm. um, and so back then, there was also the same thing of, well, gosh, maybe this is a, a, a little small change right in the way I'm going to work and it's turned out to be much different what do you think are the learnings or what are the similarities you think between what the, how the oil and gas company dealt or oil and gas industry dealt with uh, the um, digital transformation and what's going on today around the energy transition are there any learnings yeah, no, absolutely. I think it is really a great parallel between what happened at the time and what is happening now and how the industry can um, benefit from those learnings with the backdrop that this change is going to be even faster and there is more urgency. Um, so looking at the energy transition uh, or, or uh, sorry, looking at the digital transformation and what happened, um, how long it took, you know, from those early days that you described to what is happening today where we have unmanned operations and, um, and... And we don't just have computers on our desk, we have them on our wrists, right? Exactly, exactly. Wearables, augmented reality, training, it, it is embedded into everything. But how long did it take? for the industry to get there and to benefit and to continue uh, innovating around it. So I think what is going to happen is um, that the levers of value are going to be redefined faster uh, around what decarbonizing means, both uh, on one side the risk and then on the other side the opportunities for value and for competitive advantage. But going back to the digital uh, transformation, um, some of the lessons learned, I believe, Joanne, uh, we're familiar with this, is companies will uh, be smart about the fundamentals. So what are the fundamentals versus uh, the temptation for the shining object and the technology of the day? Uh, and it, when we look at the fundamentals at the industry and how the data supports those fundamentals is we need to have solid operations. We need to have safe operations. We still need to run a business. So this is not just uh, an exercise of going and too quickly saying, hey, it is blockchain or it is any other uh, given technology or it's just 
uh, the exercise of doing uh, uh, carbon accounting and then go and buy carbon offsets. Uh, because that misses tremendous opportunity. I think those are some of the temptations that companies, if they're not careful, might run into the same issues that we experience as an industry in uh, in the digital transformation. So then we get into what you and Bob in, um, in an earlier podcast called the graveyard of projects, because quickly you realize this is taking us nowhere. And yeah, this was a, a cute little project, uh, but that's not the way how we can run the business, right? Um, so that would be kind of my biggest takeaway, that companies need to step back. Um, at the end of the day, sustainability strategy and business strategy need to be one. And as you think about the tools, the processes, the technologies, you need to be looking at things that align with the company strategy and how you define or you will redefine business value at the same time. And it has to be in the context of the knowledge, the experience from the industry at the same time as well. Uh, not purely from, from a framework uh, perspective, which of course has to be integrated, but also in the context of what are the operations that we run here? What are the challenges that the industry face here? So this sectoral subject matter expertise uh, integrated with the uh, science um, of climate and with digital technologies um, is going to, I believe, to be the proper balance in solving for the net to zero equation. Okay. So I think what I hear you saying is that the more quickly that we all, including companies and the, in the entire industry, the more quickly we understand that this is a systemic challenge and the answers need to be that as opposed to disparate projects, maybe to get one, one little piece of this or whatever, is that it really is all about the system and understanding how this energy transition really is going to permeate throughout the organization, not just over in your continuous improvement or your efficiency or your environmental space, but it's going to be pretty system-wide. You no, know, exactly, exactly. And, and as we uh, engage with customers, Joanne, because I mentioned a moment ago uh, our work that we started doing with residential um, use cases, but then we move more to commercial and industrial and helping companies, first of all, understand their um, own carbon footprint, but then most importantly, what is what it means and how to get to net zero. So what we find is uh, there, there, are, there are some challenges that companies uh, tell us about. So one of them, there are a variety of where are companies uh, at their top level in terms of setting an, an ambition, a direction, and a sense of urgency of what it, this means for the company. So that is, we go back to leadership and how it needs to start at the top. Once, then for the others that already are in uh, ahead in, in that step, then you get in, in what you're saying, the decentralized teams approach. And the, the challenge and the risk with that approach is that you get into all, all these multitude of small projects that get initiated in different parts within the organization, and they don't have a unified um, direction, a holistic direction, and perhaps could be even under-resourced, 
right? So small projects with under-resourced um, situations and with a holistic direction, that sounds no as a very cohesive uh, integration of your sustainability uh, strategy into the business strategy. So we go back uh, to how do you create, and that's what we're working on, is on creating the tools that help helps companies operationalize. Uh, and rather than just having those things that are disjointed, on one side, this is what leadership is thinking about, uh, this is what actually the operations are working on, bringing everything together. So now under the same uh, platform uh, that everyone shares, number one, the data, uh, in near real time because the data exists. So similar to what we did with the use case for residences, the good news for companies is that they have the data. It might be in different systems. It might be in different groups. So the first exercise is let's bring all the data together and let's make sure that the data is um, optimized for quality control and for consistency and for proper data governance, just as any good digital uh, transformation Effort, project, yeah. absolutely. And and then the other piece, uh, you get into the aspirations. So on the other spectrum, you have companies that have been with great intent saying, we're going to get to net zero, but without not necessarily knowing how. And they thinking, well, we'll later think about the details. The answer so, will come to me at some point. <laughs> so, so now we have... Uh, the situation that the Security Exchange Commission has introduced this proposed rule for disclosures. So then the moment of figuring the details is now because right. companies are going to be asked to uh, know and to disclose how is it that they're going to uh, get there. So again, a moment of opportunity for companies to um, look back to maybe that initial temptation, especially those that, that started a little bit earlier and running uh, disjointed projects and how do I bring all of this together and use this to pressure test my scenarios and to make sure that we all have the same set of metrics and KPIs, not only at board and management level, but throughout the, the organization as well. Yeah, that people can use all the way, all the way through. Yeah, so I think that's right. Um, you know, maybe just in wrapping up um, a little bit, I'd, I'd ask you, uh, you mentioned the SEC uh, proposed new rules and uh, they are strenuous and, uh, and, and kind of urgent when they think about when right now, granted uh, they're proposed and there'll be some back and forth, I'm sure. But the point is it's, it's coming pretty quickly. And so do you get a sense as you're talking to folks here in the, uh, uh, the oil and gas capital of the world, as we like to call ourselves here in Houston, do you get a sense that people are beginning to feel that urgency? I think there is, uh, there's still no one single answer. So it really depends. Uh, so we have some companies that, as we know, they have been working on this for a number of years. They have already started diversifying their portfolios, developing and accelerating some of those technologies of the future. Uh, there are some others that are just recently announcing their baselines and their ambitions. And there are some others yet to do that. Uh, so there is a spectrum really happening. But I think the, this proposed rule, as a minimum, 
creates a moment of uh, discussion, pause, discussion, and reflection. Um, what is what this means for companies? Uh, because just to um, just to break down what is what the rules uh, call for. So number one, we have been talking about the inventory of uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So that will be scope one, scope two, scope three. Uh, the good news is many companies, and you and I have discussed stories about this, your days with IRA in, in California, Joanne, how you have to report to the EPA uh, emissions. Yeah. So even though some might not be as aware, this is something that the industry had been done for many, many years now. Uh, of course, that's going to be done more comprehensively because perhaps it was for certain types of operations, certain types of equipments, but not for everything. So now scope one, direct operations from the company, scope two, uh, electricity and heat uh, that is used by the company, uh, but also scope three. Scope three has everything to do with up, up downstream value chain and even financing. So these proposed rules consider financing be part of that scope three. So even if a company is thinking that, well, perhaps it doesn't apply to me because this rule will apply to publicly traded company and I'm not, uh, you might be in the supply chain of a financing entity or investor that will have to disclose wow. their activities as well. Wow. So, so it is important that every company looks at their whole because it's, it's like concentric circles and you might be in the adjacency of one right. of those are or downstreams. Uh, now, second thing is not only your suppliers, but also you might be the supplier of one company as well. And that company might have already stated ambitions. So, so it's just looking at, yes, these are the implications, right? So what are the things I'll have to do? And what is the, the risk of not doing it and the cost of not doing it? Because, of course, potentially there's a higher risk of capital. Uh, potentially there could be uh, customers that might not uh, have a preference for your product because you're not um, having a transition plan. Um, but then on the other side, what are the opportunities as well, right? Uh, as you make uh, progress and you start looking at ways to, number one, acknowledge the risk and find the ways how you're going to change your operations, uh, your supply chain, your innovation, your product development, your marketing, so that your overall footprint is going to be less and then you're going to become a more attractive investment for investors, a more attractive product for customers and employees. Uh, and likewise, uh, in the supply chain of some of those uh, target large customers, you're going to be a better uh, provider of products and services as well. Okay. Yeah, so certainly some of the proposed rules are taking a very system-wide approach with the scope one, two, three. And then I didn't even know about this. Notice that even if you're not a publicly traded or big enough to meet the threshold, that you still uh, may have some requirements for reporting. That's fascinating. Well, but not necessarily. So maybe the clarification point is not that the SEC is going to require those uh, for a filing. If you're not a, a 10K filer, uh, definitely the Security Exchange Commission wouldn't uh, ask you for that. But then your, um, your customer might ask you uh, for what is your scope one and two, because your scope one and two might become now their scope three. 
And now this is how things right. are going to be interpolated. Okay. Um, so the bottom line is this might impact both those companies that are explicitly stated in the proposed rule and also those that might think, well, this doesn't apply to me. Yeah. So yeah. It, is, it is a moment. And that is where, once again, building these technologies, and in our case now the technology for uh, businesses is ESG-wise, which is a sustainability management platform for companies to take advantage of all of their data and to be able to not only create their carbon inventories, but to have an optimized, cost-optimized net zero pathways that have yes. been pressure tests for execution and feasibility, and that then they won't sit only in the reporting, but they can actually be operationalized, executed, and at the end of the day, to create value for, for the company. Right. Gosh, it sounds like the, your technology is almost a requirement instead of just an enabler. I'm not sure how some of the companies are going to be able to, to do this without some good uh, digital tools. Uh, absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, uh, Joanne, is, is one, of course, big task is bringing all the data together. But then second, getting the actionable insights. Uh, so that is where the um, intelligence within the platform being able, and once again, integrating not only the, the technology and the frameworks, um, that by the way, the great news about the frameworks is there are so many, and I know that have been disorienting for companies and, and in fairness to, to all involved, some companies have been waiting for those frameworks to converge and to be harmonized. Now, the good news is those frameworks have a common parent and that common parent is the uh, task force for climate disclosures, this um, um, T, TF, uh, TCFD. Um, so there's no really need to um, stay waiting. So I think most of these technologies are compliant with, uh, and our technology is compliant for sure with uh, TCFD and, and the greenhouse gas protocol. Uh, but the other the other piece as well is now you have the data, bring the data together. How do you integrate industry knowledge and operational knowledge so that when you have your carbon inventories, you're going to resist the temptation to run into these ad hoc projects or these just go and buy offsets because that's the first thing to do, and rather really apply that efficiency lever that is maximizing the today uh, by having curated recommendations that are machine learning and AI assisted for how to address those hotspots in a way that once again, is not only feasible, but is going to be cost-effective and ideally not only cost-effective, but actually a lever uh, as we think about this uh, redefinition of value and, uh, and competitiveness. So in the past, nobody knew what is the carbon intensity of a barrel of oil, the carbon intensity of a, of a car that is manufactured, the carbon intensity of whatever product. In the future, that's going to be known, similar as we look at you know, product and food labels. When we go to a supermarket, we say, no, this one, no, because it has too much sugar. Right. I prefer that one. Customers the labeling, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Customers are going to have that level of visibility and are going to make choices based on how your company operates and exactly. uh, whether this gets disclosed or not. And of course, if you are a top performer, why not to inform all of your stakeholders uh, yeah. in the process and, and you know take advantage of that? Yep. Great. 
great. Well, thank you very much, Patricia, for uh, the conversation today on the net zero journeys and how, um, you know, quantum new energy can help you be a what? A net zero hero. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me, Patricia. And um, so this is going to, we're going to wrap up this episode of the OGGN Digital Doers podcast. Again, I'd like to thank all of you who, who stop by and hang out a little bit and listen to these conversations. And also I want to once again, thank HPE.com for uh, sponsoring this so we can uh, actually uh, have these conversations. Uh, go check them out, hpe.com and their new Green Lake platform. And with that, I'll say goodbye to Patricia and goodbye to all of you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Joanne. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.